Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. Good to be here. Hope, uh, hope and I trust you'll be fed today. Turn to John chapter 16. John 20, verse 31, it says, uh, But these things are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. I've read that multiple times um, throughout the last year and a half, and I still believe is the key verse of John, that you might believe. We'll read John 16, starting in verse 1. These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh, that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father, nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you askest me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us, A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, What is this that he saith, A little while? We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him, and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said, A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, 
and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you, that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world. Again I leave the world, and go to the Father. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We're continuing with um, Jesus' private ministry to his disciples. Um, started in chapter 13 and 14 and 15, 16, and also in 17, um, was Jesus' private ministry to his disciples. Now, Jesus said here in verse 1, These things I told you that you should not be offended. So what things did Jesus tell his disciples that um, they should not be offended? He says, These things have I spoken unto you. Um, I guess it could be um, maybe Jesus' whole three and a half years of ministry with the disciples. Um, I think... Just maybe my personal thought, I think Jesus was maybe referring to the last several chapters here. Um, ch chapter 13, 14, 15 was the things, these things that Jesus was talking about here. In chapter 13, he, he instituted the, the Last Supper there, the, the bread and the wine and the feet washing. And in chapter 14 and 15, he had more words of encouragement, affirmation for them. And all of these chapters here from 13 to now were all in the same evening. And so if you think about all of these things happening within maybe a few hours from each other, there was a lot of things that the disciples had to digest here, um, try to understand, try to, maybe they were confused um, because there's so much that Jesus is telling them in these few chapters and the little time that he said this. Um, it wasn't like there was um, months or years between these chapters. This was all the same time um, that Jesus was telling his disciples this. So they were trying to understand what Jesus means by him leaving, um, that he's coming back again, and we can read on we can read on the next few chapters and we can see what happened the disciples couldn't they were living in the time here in the reality they didn't know what was going to happen and so um, this was a lot for them to process i'm just going to read a few verses from um, starting in verse 13 and up to verse uh, up to chapter 16 of some of the things i think that jesus meant when he said these things. In chapter 13, verse 16, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, 
neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. And in verse 20, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. And in verse 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And then in chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And in verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And in verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And in, verse, in chapter 15 now, verse 7, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. In verse 15, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Verse 20, Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. And verse 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. And then he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. That was maybe part of the things that, that Jesus told his disciples, that they would not be offended or stumble. Another word for offended is stumble or tri trip up. Um, so Jesus told them these things so they would not stumble or trip up. Um, like I said, we can read what happened after this. We can read what all Jesus went through. We can read of his resurrection. We can read uh, that he revealed himself to his disciples and... and um, that Jesus ascended again. We know all that, but for the disciples, they didn't know this yet. This was still being, um, being in the future for them. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't really understand, I don't think, what was going to happen all to Jesus yet. Imagine it may be somewhat like if you um, have a friend and this friend is someone who you have shared all of your life's joys and sorrows with. Um, this friend knows you, and you know your friend uh, from the inside to the outside. Um, you know each other well, and your friend says goodbye. 
um, I'm leaving, I won't come back. Um, what would you think? What would you feel? Um, would it cause you to struggle? Would it cause you to stumble? Um, would you be offended? Jesus said that I've told you these things so you're not offended. And so we can look ahead. Did the disciples become offended? Um, you can either wait and see or you can read ahead, I guess. In verse 2, this verse here, I th um, Jesus is telling that they're going to be put out of the synagogue. Um, they're going to be killed for the sake of doing God's service. Um, I think that was probably for them in that day. Um, the disciples here and the next generations were going to face opposition. Um, but also, we can look at history, and we see, and we, we, our mind goes to men that have killed mass multitudes of people um, in the name of doing God's service. I guess my mind goes to Hitler, um, and there's probably more, maybe more recent ones. Um, and I think of the Martyr's Mirror, where a lot of the martyrs there were persecuted by religious um, leaders um, for the sake of they were doing God's service, um, getting rid of heresy and um, false teaching, so-called false teaching. Um, and so this, I think the disciples probably faced some of this after Jesus left, but I think there is still application for us today that there are still um, people out there that are against Christianity uh, for the sake of doing God's service, if that makes sense. In verse 3, um, Jesus is saying that um, these things um, are going to happen to you, um, but they don't know who God is. And so when that happens, Jesus is saying it's not from God. Verse 4, Jesus said that I didn't, I didn't tell you these things right away when I called you to be my disciples because I was still with you. My time was not, my hour was not yet here, and so I didn't tell you all these things right at the beginning. You had to wait till now when I'm going to be leaving. And he says, so that you remember what I told you after he leaves. In verse 5, Jesus says, I go my way. He says, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go. Um, and then in verse 6, Jesus um, probably expressed what the disciples were feeling. He says that sorrow has filled your heart. Um, but in verse 7, he says, it is expedient for you that I go away. Another word for expedient is um, it is good or it is to your advantage that I go away. And Jesus says that he must leave. It is for the disciples and believers' advantage that Jesus goes away 
for the Comforter to come. Jesus must leave in order for the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to come. And so sometimes we raise the question, you know, what would, if Jesus was here today, um, how would how would he want us to live, or what would we do? Uh, maybe the questions that we would ask him. Um, would it be better living today if Jesus was here walking with us? Um, but Jesus had to leave in order for the Comforter to come. And so what were the advantages of Jesus leaving um, and the Spirit coming? So Jesus said he had to leave for the Spirit to come. What were the advantages for Jesus to leave and the Spirit to come. The first one, I think, is the provision of the Holy Spirit. Um, and he goes on to talk about that in verses 7 to 15, the provision of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that when he leaves, he says, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit um, here would not be given to the world, in quote, but to believers. The Spirit coming would be more profitable to believers than the physical presence of Christ because the Spirit would dwell in all believers at the same time. Okay, so that makes sense. When the Spirit comes, He will dwell in you. Um, and so He will dwell in all believers at the same time. In verse 8, Jesus says that when the Spirit comes, he's going to reprove um, the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. What does Jesus mean by that? Of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Another word for reprove is convict. Um, I will, he says he will convict the world. And before I get into the next few verses there of the sin, the righteousness, and the judgment, um, this convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment is the work of the Holy Spirit today. In verse 9, he says, of sin, because they believe not on me. And notice there he says, and maybe it's, um, I didn't look too much at um, the literal translation, but notice he says sin a singular and not sins. Um, Christ has made a way for all sin, and my acceptance of the full pardon is the only cure for the disease of sin. Okay, Christ covered all sin, not just the sins um, that we think of today. Christ paid the full pardon for all sin and is the only cure for the disease of sin and John's theme is that you would believe so he says of sin because they believe not on me the essence of sin is unbelief in Christ and I have that um, I'm not sure where I got it from I have it written in my Bible here under that verse the essence of sin is unbelief in Christ and then you think about that, um, all sin is a lack of belief in Christ. Um, the whole accumulation or the whole 
the, the sum of sin is unbelief in Christ. The essence of sin is unbelief in Christ. When I am sin, I am saying, I don't think God is what I need. Okay, so that's unbelief. And sometimes we don't feel like believing. Um, sometimes we maybe need to pray, Lord, I don't feel like believing right now, but I choose to believe that you will supply my needs. That's belief in Christ. In verse 10, he says that he's going to convict the world of righteousness because he says he's going to the Father and you shall see me no more. Jesus' work on the cross was completely righteous. The empty tomb and Jesus going to the Father reveals the Father's satisfaction and acceptance of Jesus' righteousness. So when Jesus leaves, he fulfilled the Father's um, acceptance of righteousness. In verse 11, he says that he's going to convict the world of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And I just want to read a, a few verses in 1 Corinthians that talk about the prince of this world that I think helps um, interpret that verse a little bit. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6 through 8. In verse 6 it says, How be it? We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. There are or maybe I should say, there is one prince of this world, the devil. And there are also princes of this world, those who do not believe in Christ. Satan was judged at the cross. And all unbelievers will be judged. There is no middle ground. Either I'm a child of God or a child of the devil. And the thing that will determine um, which one I am is, is if I'll believe. Will I believe? In verse 13, he says, still talking here about the provision of the Holy Spirit, he says that, that the spirit of truth when the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. So it seems kind of maybe simple, but it's, I think it's pretty amazing that the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. It's just, it's, it's kind of simple but profound. Um, and the spirit speaks what he hears from the Father. In verse 15, we have the Trinity all mentioned. In verse 15, he says that all things that the Father hath are mine. So Jesus, mentioned Father, he hath are Jesus. Therefore said I, 
that he, the Spirit, shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. So all three of the Trinity are mentioned in verse 15. And it's interesting that they cannot be separated. It says, all things that the Father hath are Jesus, and then that the Spirit shall take of Jesus and show them unto you. And so this, the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus all say the same thing. They all speak the same thing. They don't contradict one another. The second advantage to Jesus leaving and the Holy Spirit coming is the potential of full joy in verses 16 to 24. In verses 17 to 19 there, the disciples are questioning among themselves um, the time intervals. They didn't understand what all Jesus was meaning, the time um, of Jesus leaving and coming and what all Jesus was meaning here. And so Jesus tells them in verse 20, that he says, you're going to weep and lament. Um, Jesus' death, his suffering, will bring great and deep sorrow to the disciples. The world, on the other hand, will rejoice that they got rid of Jesus. But Jesus says that your sorrow will be turned into joy. So he says, you're going to, it's going to be hard. You're going to be sorrowful. You're going to grieve. But he says, it will be turned into joy. And then in verse 21, he uses a comparison of a, um, uh, the, the sorrow and joy that he's talking about here. He uses it and compares it with the experience of a woman giving birth. He says that um, this, the same way that there is sorrow in, in labor, in travail, um, but after the child is born, there is joy. There, you don't remember that sorrow anymore. And so Jesus uses that to help the disciples understand what he's talking about. In verse 22, he says that um, now you have sorrow, but he says, I will see you again. And he says that you will rejoice, and he says, your joy no man can take away from you. I think that's a promise that we can hold on to, um, that that joy no man can take away from you. Your heart will rejoice. And, and part of, the, I think there's two parts of what Jesus is saying here, that he will see them again. Um, part of it, I think he's meaning when he comes back after his um, leaving the tomb, um, he revealed himself to the disciples and then on ascension. But also in heaven someday, um, the disciples will see Jesus. We will see Jesus in heaven someday. That joy will outweigh um, any sorrow. And I thought of um, last Sunday in our Sunday school lesson in Romans 8, um, 
I thought of that, that it, um, Paul here is talking about some of the same things that Jesus is talking about here in Romans 8.22. Um, this was last week's lesson. Paul is saying here, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So while we're living here in this world on earth, we're groaning, we're travailing um, here on this earth. We are, um, maybe so to speak, in labor, groaning, travailing, until the redemption of our body. So that, that groaning, that travailing, um, that's normal. I, I think I can say that. Um, that's normal. The joy of being with Jesus someday will far outweigh the sorrow today. Verse 23, he says, if you ask, you will receive. And in verse 24, he says that ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. So again, talking about um, the Holy Spirit coming, the potential for full joy, he says, if you ask and you receive, you will have full joy. Sometimes we sorrow, and that sorrow overwhelms us, it consumes us, and we can only groan. But Jesus is saying, you ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. Maybe part of that problem of not asking is that I need to repent of my independent lifestyle. I will take care of myself. That attitude of not asking. Maybe I need to repent of that. That's unbelief. The third advantage to the Holy Spirit coming and Christ leaving was the possibility of fuller knowledge. Jesus talks about that in verses 25 to 28. Jesus says that he uses a lot of parables, he uses a lot of proverbs, a lot of figurative language, a lot of things they, the disciples had a hard time understanding. But he says, you will understand them more plainly after Jesus leaves and the Spirit comes and reveals that to you. And so there is um, part of possibility there of fuller knowledge. They will have direct access to the Father. And when I believe that Jesus came from God and I love Jesus, the Father loves me. That's what he's saying in um, 27 and 28. I can talk to God anytime, anywhere, and the Holy Spirit can speak to me anytime, anywhere. 
the fourth advantage to the Spirit coming and Christ leaving is the privilege of peace. And he talks about that the rest of the chapter, um, the privilege of peace. In verse 29, the disciples say that now we understand. Now you're talking plainly, and now we believe. And Jesus asked the question, do you believe? Do you now believe? And I wonder um, if Jesus was wanting to hear this from the disciples before he left. It's just a thought I had. I wonder if Jesus, through chapter 13, 14, 15, 16 here, Jesus was trying to um, have the disciples express, do they believe? And now they say they do believe. And then Jesus asked the question, do ye now believe? Is the gospel plain enough for you to understand? What is it that is causing you to stumble or trip up? What will it take to believe? Jesus said that his hour is now come, in verse 32, and he says, you will be scattered, and every man to his own. When I am on my own, does my faith keep me standing? When I feel scattered and alone, what do I do? Am I quick to run to a pain reliever, buy a new toy, look at porn, take an extravagant trip, etc., to numb the pain? What do I do when I am scattered and alone? Or will I choose to believe and trust God? Because he says, as is Jesus talking here about himself, he says that he is not alone because the Father is with me. And I think we can make application for that ourselves. In the times that we feel scattered and alone, we are not alone. God is with us. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in us and can help us. And then in verse 33, Jesus says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In verse 1, he said, These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. And then the last verse, These things have I spoken unto you, that you might have peace. And I don't think that's coincidence that way. Offense... Um, Tripping up, stumbling is almost opposite of having peace. And so he says, These things I have spoken unto you that you might have peace. While on this earth, while my traveling here, I will have sorrow, I will have tribulation. But he says, Be cheer, cheerful, be of good cheer. Through the aid of the Holy Spirit, I can overcome the world. 
in the midst of this sorrow, in the midst of this groaning, I can have peace in my heart. That word tribulation there, in this world you should have tribulation, literally means pressure. So in this world you will have pressure. Do you feel that pressure? And then the words there, be of good cheer, literally means be confident and courageous. Be of good cheer, be confident and courageous. I'm going to close with a few verses in Philippians that Paul, is his explanation um, of the principle of joy and suffering. In Philippians 1, in verse 27, Paul says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. Can I say that I have peace in the midst of pressure? Let's kneel for prayer.